growing out of cash is a really, I, I think entrepreneurs who haven't been there don't really understand it. It's a real thing though, right? Yes. Yes. There is the uh, uh, fallacy that you can outgrow any problem. Well, I'll just sell more. That'll solve the problem. Well, that's not true, actually. And uh, unless you've lived it, it's, it's hard to describe it. Good brewers dump beer, period. Because not every, we've dumped beer here at Flatiron Park. We've dumped 120 barrel fermenters full of beer because it just didn't meet our standards. Um, Maybe somebody is trying our beer for the very first time. And if it's average or below average, we don't want that first impression. Hi, I'm Dave Tabor, and this is the Proco 360 podcast with stories and lessons from Colorado's world-class entrepreneurs. Proco 360 is for those who are fans of Colorado, our businesses, and our leaders. Listeners, thanks to you, Proco 360 is Westward Reader's best Denver podcast, three years running, and two years as a top 15 Colorado podcast on Feedspot. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Matt Cutter, founder and president of the Upslope Brewing Company. Upslope, you probably know, uh, is a great Colorado brewer. It's interesting to me because, well, I've purchased a lot of their beer and I have some in the fridge right now. More interesting to you, the listeners at Upslope is in an interesting position that I'd like to explore more big enough to be widely recognized as a brand and highly visible in stores and still small enough that craft beer fans still see it as a craft beer brand. And that just right size is something we'll talk a lot about, also about building a beer company from scratch and even adapting during COVID. So Matt, glad you could join me via Zoom as a guest on Proco 360. Hey Dave, how are you? Good, thanks. And, and listeners will admit, Matt and I are going to just admit, we tried this once before and we had some technical difficulties. So this is our second shot at this. Matt, we better do a good job. I thought we weren't going to tell everybody about that. Well, I decided we might as well come clean. So, hey, tell us a quick intro of Upslope Brewing Company. Yeah, you bet. So Upslope Brewing Company is a regional brewery based out of Boulder, Colorado. Uh, we started back in 2008. Um, we have... Uh, Two breweries now, the original Lee Hill location, which is now our R&D brewery, and uh, our main facility in Flatiron Park, that is uh, essentially the factory. It's where the, where the cans come from, and uh, we, we have a larger brew house here and larger fermentation vessels um, and more, uh, more capacity. You founded Upslope with two friends, Henry Woods and Danny Page. It's sort of the stereotypical story of two or three guys, you know, like beer and they want to start a brewery. Is that kind of how it happened? Yeah, that that is kind of how it happened. I <laughs> I did I didn't uh, I didn't know those two uh, before you know this venture started. It was with um, is with Danny initially. Uh, Danny had started a brewery in Ushuaia, Argentina, back in two thousand basically followed a girl to Colorado, uh, didn't, didn't know what he was going to do, but wanted to team up with somebody as, uh, as she moved back to, uh, her home in Aurora. And, um, and then, uh, and then from there with, with Henry was introduced to Henry through uh, a friend and somebody in, uh, that started a branding agency in town. 
Huh. So, so you got a marketing guy and you got a beer making guy together. It's a good thing that beer guy uh, followed his girlfriend, huh? It worked out. Yes. Yes. It all worked out. <laughs> I, I often uh, credit Leslie with uh, the reason why we're all drinking beer together now. So when you guys, Matt, when you guys started the beer company, did you have you know goals? Did you have a plan other than just like, hey, let's start making beer and see where this thing goes? Yeah, absolutely. So Dave, I actually put a business plan to, together back in 1996 for a microbrewery. And then Rewrote that in 2007 uh, to update it, figure out where the industry was at that time versus back in '96, and um, I would call it more of a more of a serious uh, business plan. Put together the financials, the marketing concept. Who would I need to team up with? Uh, where would it be located? You know, all the details, and then uh, and then it was uh, it, it was from that. Um, that I started to look out and see who would be able to, uh, who would best be able to partner up with me and uh, complement what I was bringing to the table. So, what causes when, uh, a guy to wait eleven years? I mean, you made, you wrote a business plan, you waited eleven years, and the, a lot changed in the meantime. You had to rewrite the whole thing, didn't you? That, that's a really good question. Um, well, back in '96, uh, what stopped me and some other folks that were, were helping me with it was uh, we didn't have any money. We didn't know where we were going to get money from. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it seemed very pie in the sky. Yeah, that would be great, wouldn't it? Um, these, these two guys I was talking to at the time in 96 were in the industry, but um, it seemed a little, uh, a little frightening, I guess. But I uh, basically started having kids, uh, got into project management, uh, mostly in the high-tech industry, um, initially with a contract manufacturer of printed circuit boards. And that was my first taste of a manufacturing environment and a startup. And I realized I loved hmm. them both. Wow. And, and actually, you really are. We're gonna, we'll talk some more. But I mean, you really are manufacturing beer. It is a process-oriented thing, isn't it? Oh, yeah. So, I, he's nodding. You got to remember, this is this is audio. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. We are a factory. Uh, let's not forget about that. We have raw materials. We have processes. We have quality control. We have receiving. We have shipping. Uh, and it's so incredibly complex. Uh, brewing beer is a combination of cooking and science and CO2 and air pressure and these little guys called yeast that will do crazy things if you don't take really, really good care of them. Well, the, it's interesting that you talk about it as, as manufacturing and all the process, because, you know, we think of, I think as consumers think of craft beer, you know, we think of maybe a local brewery, you go in and you see the tank sitting there and it, I guess it doesn't seem that scientific. It seems creative and, you know, it's, but you're telling me, yeah, maybe, but you got to work on process. Yeah. So, uh, so Dave, when you buy our beer in the store and, and you drink it, let's say the Citra Pale Ale and, and you're drinking, man, this beer tastes so good. I love it. And then a couple of weeks later, you pick up another six pack of Citra Pale Ale. You want it to taste the same. You want that same experience that you had two weeks earlier. So it better be the same. And we, brew from a 30 barrel brew house 
that it is then uh, the beer is knocked out into 120 barrel fermenters or as large as 360 barrel fermenters. So that batch processing has to be dialed in so that it is the same batch to batch. And um, mm-hmm. that is not easy, especially when you're using microorganisms to produce your products yeah. uh, like yeast. And you have to keep so- bacteria out and, uh, and make sure that, um, that those processes are as consistent as possible. And using raw materials that come from farms, barley, yeah. hops, um, those also uh, deviate. So you have to control that as well. It it almost seems though that at least what I've always thought of is around the word craft. It's almost like artisanal, and and when you when I think of artisanal, I think a lot of people think of that notion that that controls are less important because it's okay if things vary just a little bit because that's part of the artisanal aspect of what it is. You know, no leather belt's going to look the same. No, you know, whatever and you're saying something different because I guess once you graduate from being a, a baby brewer to a real brewer, those things have to change maybe. Yes. Yes, that's true. If you're doing one-offs, um, yeah. you know, you, you have a tap room, you have a seven barrel brew house and you want to, you want a beer that has different hops in it and you've never used these hops before. Um, you have a recipe that you want to try out um, with, with different malts or, um, adjuncts, uh, fruits or spices or whatever it is. And Hey, this could be fun. Let's see how it comes out. Yeah. That's, uh, and that's something we still do very much, uh, especially from our Hill brewery, but, um, man, uh, you know, to produce a product. But if you're going to put stuff on shelves, if you're going to put stuff, yeah, if you're going to put stuff on shelves, that's not how it's going to work. Yes. Be, and it's, it goes back yeah. to the to the expectations of the consumers. They they want yeah. they know what they like and they don't want it to deviate a lot. That's interesting and and clarifying. Thank you, hey, listeners. This is Proco three hundred and sixty, named best Denver podcast three years running. I'm your host Dave Tabor, and this is the show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. I'm speaking with Matt Cutter, founder and president of Upslope Brewing Company. I should say co-founder and president of Upslope Brewing Company. And thanks to our sponsors, Community Banks of Colorado, the law firm of Holland and Hart, Kinsley Meetings, MicroStar Keg Logistics, and my newest sponsor, Via Technologies. These great companies support Colorado businesses and entrepreneurs, and they support this show. Also, thanks to the Colorado Chamber of Commerce for its support from me and ProCo360. Uh, let's talk more about this, this combo approach that you have, because you've got, Matt, you've got a, a large process-oriented brewery, and then you decided to separate the Lehigh Brewery as a smaller batch brewery. Talk about that. So... Um yeah, it became evident in the early days when we were uh, just getting started. We had we had two styles, India Pale Ale and Pale Ale. So we start out with those two, and Henry starts uh, knocking on doors uh, as we were self-distributing at that time and, and selling the product into these stores. And as he was doing that and being very successful at that, um, 
we then would, uh, we need more tanks. We, we needed more cash. We needed uh, more capacity, a larger cold room, uh, on and on, you know, uh, reducing these bottlenecks. So he is selling us out of beer, well, for years. And you bet uh, one time we wanted to have fun, get a little creative, brew something other than pale ale and IPA. So we brewed a Dunkelweizen. And Henry discovered that we had brewed seven barrels of a Dunkelweizen and he was completely out of pale ale and Indian pale ale. And he is like, what are you guys doing? I need beer. Do we, we need, uh, is that, is that paying the bill? Quit screwing you know, around. <laughs> quit screwing around. Quit screwing around. Yeah. <laughs> we we, we got to make things happen here. And over time, uh, that was a consistent theme as we grew very quickly. And so it, it became clear to me that when, um, when the, the arm wrestling came between, um, production and innovation that production would win every time so what do you do you separate the two and we were we were fortunate in that i figured out a, a financing way to keep lee hill you bet lee hill was on the table uh to be sold uh mm. to be parted off um to, to have somebody else walk in there and take it over because we need the money to get to the next step uh the next step being Flatiron park and uh, so we, we designed it and financed it so that we could do both. And to this mm -hmm. day, I mean, we have our lead brewer over at Lee Hill, uh, Alex Meyer. Alex is an advanced Cicerone, and he is amazing. What he mm -hmm. is capable of doing with water chemistry and new varieties of hops and recipes and and adjuncts and and ideas for beers that um, that would have never come to fruition had it all been about production. Is the next new upslope canned beer coming out of Flatiron Park? No, Dave. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. It's coming out of the playground. It's coming out mm -hmm. of Lee Hill. Uh, that's that's our future. Huh. So, you know, it's so it, I've been enjoying a lot of interesting new flavors as different microbreweries and regional breweries are producing, as you mentioned, different sours. You have a, a blue Hawaiian sour beer, which I have not yet tried, but I'm looking forward to. And um, at some point, you know, it seems like you must have tried some stuff that was just too far out, too weird. And you just like you said, this is no, we're not selling this. Right. Yeah, we've had, we've definitely had some of those. And uh, I have, <laughs> like what? Give me an example of a bad one. <laughs> oh God, what was the one? Um, well, there was one uh, not that long ago that we uh, we had been we've been playing around with uh, with wheat beers, and uh, there's a uh, a fruited wheat beer that we put up pineapple and guava in and it just didn't work it just <laughs> it was i couldn't i couldn't get through a third of the pint class and it, it, it and it it was toward you know the direction of of innovating and as i've told the brewers uh over at lee hill over the years 
if we're not dumping beer, we're, we're not pushing the edge. It, we're, we're just, we're staying in the safe zone, which is not where innovation comes from. Yeah, that, that makes great sense that if, if you're not having some failures, you really haven't pushed it very far. You know, what's, what does it cost? Just quick answer if, if, to, to waste a batch. Um, it depends on a lot of things. It depends on um, what kind of ingredients you're putting in there. Uh, some of them, uh, a lot of these, um, these, uh, fruit concentrates and, uh, fruit, uh, fruit purees can be very, very expensive. Hmm. Um, you know, uh, certain malts are very, very expensive. Yeah. We have huh. some pretty, pretty fancy malts, uh, that we get from Belgium and, and, uh, and Germany. So, I mean, could so, an experimental batch be five grand, 10 grand? Yeah, depending on the quantity, it would be less than that uh, yeah. on the seven barrel system. Maybe it'd be two or three grand. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, have you already hopped it? Have you already put the hops in there before the beer mm -hmm. had to be yeah. dumped? Yeah. Um, in the in the early days, we had some failures um, at that level that were just devastating. I remember our our Belgian pale ale, which was one of our canned beers coming out of Lee Hill. Um, the design of the brew house was not great. And there was this, it, it's a direct fire brew house. And there was this pipe uh, when you uh, transfer the beer uh, from, uh, from the mash tun to the kettle, it would go through this pipe. Well, this pipe was right above this burner. So unbeknownst to us, over time, there was uh, essentially char that developed inside that transfer tube. Uh, because it was being burned all the time. And, uh, and it, it was months and months and months of, of brewing beer that tasted just fine. And at one point, it just started to release into the beer. Ooh. So we, it, the, our Belgian pale became smoky. Smoky Belgian Bel pale. <laughs> <laughs> How was it? Did it taste good or was it awful? It was awful. It was awful. Oh, it was gosh. awful. Wow. And, uh, so, and, and just uh, larger batches, we've had power outages over at Lee Hill mm -hmm. that you can't have because the tanks warm up uh, and then the yeast go rogue on you. Mm. They love it warm and they will grow and eat sugars, uh, but also they'll emit um, off flavors such mm. as uh, acetyl aldehyde, uh, which uh, is like a green apple kind of a taste. Mm. So. You know, we finished the IPA. All right, it's ready to package. We taste it and be like, oh, no. And oh. we had to dump a, a few batches of that after things like power outages. Wow. Well, on that happy note, I'll remind listeners that this is Proco 360. I'm your host, Dave Tabor. And this is the show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. I'm speaking with Matt Cutter of Upslope Brewing. Go to Proco360.com to subscribe to the newsletter, read my blog, and catch the books I'm listening to on Audible. And don't forget to rate Proco360 in your app when you finish this episode. That helps a ton. Finally, a special shout out to sponsor Community Banks of Colorado. During this COVID mess, they've been working around the clock to help Colorado companies secure the funds they need to help Coloradans stay employed. So thanks to them. Um, let's switch gears a little bit and move quickly through this notion of what is a craft beer? What's a regional beer? You know, it's to me, it's so different. Even, I mean, Sam Adams like, makes like 3 million barrels and they're still called craft. So where is Upslope in that whole thing? So we are a regional brewer. Um, a microbrewery is 
uh, barrels produce up to 15,000 barrels. Once you get past uh, 15,000 bar barrels, you become a regional brewer. Um, you know, even, uh, you know, Sierra Nevada, which uh, distributes well all around the world, um, they would be considered a regional brewer. So it's a, mm. it's a big, big category yeah. uh, without a doubt. What's the right size? Like, you know, businesses scale, I think, in sort of tiers. And at some point, you know, becoming a regional, a regional manufacturer has good margins. And then I, I, I suppose you probably make decisions that lower and then raise and different. I mean, what's a good size for a regional manufacturer to be to be profitable? So, um, to be profitable, well, I would say you are profitable, uh, right? Yes, yes, and we have been for <laughs> for for many years. It was in uh, 2010. We were dabbling with profitability. One month was black, one month was red, and then um, in 2011, right around April, uh, we were consistently in the black. So. Uh, and let me think in, in 2008, we did about 1100 barrels. Um, so we were, we were probably at about, uh, four or 5,000 barrels at that point where, and self-distributing and, um, mm. it is. And different. at that point you became profitable. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it is different if you're going straight to distribution because the distributors take their cut. So when you're self-distributing, you get that cut uh, yourself. So that can change the math quite a bit. Yeah, but you got to do the work too. Uh, yes. You know, distributing, right? Yes. So um, I and, and speak. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's more capital. That's more risk. Absolutely. Right? Um, Speaking of distributors, I heard from a distributor that familiar brands are doing better now during COVID, right? What's your take on that? Are you, you're hearing that too, right? Yeah, we experienced that early on and I didn't, I didn't know what was going on. Um, so it, it was after the fact, uh, after the fact being, let's call it April, uh, early May, that um, somebody referred to us as a comfort brand. And I'm like, what, is, what does that mean? And why is that a good thing during COVID? So when people are walking into liquor stores, especially you know, early on during the pandemic, um, they don't want to spend a lot of time uh, dabbling and shopping and looking at labels and uh, what is this beer I've never tried before? Uh, they want to get in and get out. And they want to go with a brand that they trust. Um, our 12-pack sales went through the roof uh, starting in starting mm -hmm. in April. And what we realized is that people trusted Upslope Brewing, trusted their consistency uh, that we talked about earlier, Dave, trusted uh, the quality of the product. Uh, and it was this familiar brand that, that gave them comfort. So they were walking in, instead of grabbing a six pack, they grab a 12 pack. And uh, so mm -hmm. I, guess, I guess we are a comfort brand. Yeah. <laughs> well, congratulations for getting there. I listened to the book, So You Want to Start a Brewery, The Lagunitas Story, and Tony McGee um, made some pretty substantial mistakes as he was going, kind of funny mistakes. You must have had some big challenges um, in, in getting Upslope to where it is now. Like, Can you think of a couple of examples? 
Oh, yeah. How much time do you have? <laughs> the rest um, of the podcast. It is. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So we were undercapitalized. Uh, let's start with that. Um, I put a second mortgage on my house to start the brewery. And um, it, it was a good way to kick things off. But uh, it was a fraction of what we really needed to get going. Um you know, in your business plan, you need to be honest with yourself uh, and then come up with a number and then, you know, in terms of costs, then double it. Uh, and that's what you're going to need. <laughs> so what that, that was a good way to kick things off um, with the caveat that uh, after about nine months, nine or 10 months, uh, we, were, we were selling. Uh, sales were great. But, um, but when you, when you, when you're selling quickly, when you're, when you're growing quickly, uh, cash flow becomes a big issue. Uh, anything coming in the door, uh, cash wise immediately goes out the door as you are growing and you have to, uh, you have to manage that gap between the income and the outgo. So the, the, the other mistake that I made was that I didn't have a plan B for cash. Um, so starting in 2008, as you can imagine, the banks were not really excited about giving loans to startups uh, at the start. Yeah, they of the, were too busy uh, getting mortgages. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm knocking on doors of banks um, and they all turned me down. So we're running out of money. It's February 2009. I didn't sleep that month and uh, thought that there was a great chance that we were going to go out of business. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Steve Evans, said, hey, let, let me take a look at that second mortgage. So he looked at it. He's like, you know, if we repackage your first mortgage, we could take even more money out of your house. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. So for some reason, my wife signed that second mortgage also, uh, in addition to the first time we did the second mortgage. Um, but I did not have a plan B for what if things were going really well and you needed more money to keep things rolling, uh, rolling along. G growing yourself out of business is a cliche. You can do that. You can easily grow yourself out of business. Um, and that was happening to us. So... It was that uh, second round of a second mortgage that got us through. I think growing out of cash is a really, I, I think entrepreneurs who haven't been there don't really understand it. It's a real thing though, right? I mean, how can you, if you're doing well, you're selling everything you make, how can you not have money? Yes. Yes, there is the... Uh, a fallacy that you can outgrow any problem. Well, I'll just sell more. That'll solve the problem. Well, that's not true, actually. And uh, unless you've lived it, it's, it's hard to describe it. So one example is, you know, I, I, did, I kept my day job um, while starting the brewery, and that's because I didn't want to burden this fledgling startup with an income for myself and my family. Um, so I 
but of course I was also, you know, uh, working on the company mornings, lunchtimes, evenings, weekends, whenever I wasn't sleeping a little bit. And, um, so I was, I was accounting and I was cash flow, and we were self-distributing at that time. And I would be calling on, uh, Henry Wood and I'd be calling, I think at that point we had, uh, one driver, Jack Walsh, and I would be calling them up, um, daily, you know, as I, as I look in the bank bag and there were only a few checks in there, I'd be calling them up and Jack, Jack, did you pick up any checks from any accounts today? <laughs> well, n- not much, just one, one for 600 bucks. Jack, where are you? Where are you right now? I'm going to the bank right now and I'm going to, I need that check. I got to pick up that check because I was floating checks for malt and hops and, and rent and all kinds of things. And I, I was pretty good at timing it. And I knew when they would actually cash <laughs> those checks. So I would pick that up. And, and Dave, I am not exaggerating here. I was depositing checks in the bank five days a week, every single week. I, th- those bank people knew me better than anybody because mm-hmm. I yeah. had to keep the cash flowing. Wow. Wow. Upslope's a B Corp. You're really focused on sustainability. Um, it's a core value for you. What is, what's your take on, on integrating that into your culture? We realized that uh, this is something we, we could pursue. And the, yeah, there are some, um, uh, s- some marketing benefits to that. We actually don't toot that horn as much as we should. Um, and it became very important uh, to our, our company, to our employees that, um, that that was something we were going to work. I saw it as, um, yeah, a, a feather in your cap, but in addition to that, a, 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 uh, a structure that would continue to teach us what a, uh, what a good company does, what a good company should be focused on beyond the bottom line, taking care of its employees, taking care of the community, um, making sure you're not hurting the planet. Um, all those things uh, are part of what a B Corp is. That's cool. Uh, keeping focused on the theme of the Proco 360 podcast, world-class entrepreneurs who choose Colorado, how would you say Colorado and being in Colorado has played a role at Upslope Brewing? Uh, it's been, it's been uh, critical in many ways. So we are the craft beer for the active outdoor enthusiast that is in my business plan from 2007 that was the focus and the best vessel for that was the uh portable recyclable crush it and put it back in the backpack and and pack it out uh aluminum can so um as we uh as as that was the objective um that of course is is Colorado. It's 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 why the majority of us are here in the first place. Yeah. So um, with that angle and and moving toward that direction, it became uh, a big part of our brand, a big part of our company, a big part of the the people coming in uh, that we were interviewing for for jobs. They're climbers, they're backcountry skiers, they're mountain bikers. They they live. What we have, uh, what we have promoted from the beginning. In addition to that, Dave, we, being in Colorado, um, the craft beer drinker in Colorado is savvy. Um, 
they know what bad craft beer tastes like because <laughs> because craft beer has been established early on in this industry uh, in Colorado for a long time now. So the bar is high. If you are an average craft brewer in Colorado, you won't be around very long. Yeah. I always wondered because I, I, there are some craft breweries that I really like and we go back to over and over and I like the beer. There are a couple of others that I've gone to. I'm like, I don't, I don't like this. I don't like the other one either that I tried. And I always wonder, is it just my taste or is it the, the quality of the beer? I don't know. I would, uh, I, I trust your palate, Dave. I think you know what you're, what you're talking about when you're like, man, something's just not right with this beer. And th- there's, there's a lot of ways to, to screw up brewing a beer. Um, hmm. It is, uh, and, and there is also um, people uh, with, with, uh, with different standards and saying, well, it's, it's good enough. Yeah, I'll put it in the keg and, and put mm-hmm. it on tap. So, so some of those beers, yeah, maybe, or maybe, you know, it might've been one of those that had you produced it at Lehigh, you would have thrown it down the drain. Absolutely. And, and good brewers dump beer period, because not every we've dumped beer here at Flatland Park. We've dumped 120 barrel f- fermenters full of beer because it just didn't meet our standards. Um, maybe somebody is trying our beer for the very first time. And if it's average or below average, we don't want that first impression. Yeah. Yeah. I love that tagline. Good brewers dump beer. Isn't that what you, yeah. It kind of yes. goes with for the outdoor enthusiast. I'm some now your challenge is trying to tie those two taglines together. So, <laughs> <laughs> so last question, what do you see going forward and, and uh, you know, for upslope and for the industry that you're in, what's your take? So the industry uh, has evolved uh, quite a bit since we started in 2008. Um, back then there were 1400 craft breweries. Now there's over 9,000. Um, many of them very, very small and selling most of their beer just, just across the bar, uh, in their tap room. But, um, we have to, we have to evolve with that as well. So I, I would say at, at the core of, of what the future looks like is paying attention to consumers. Um, wh- what do they want? You, you bet the millennials want something different than, you know, the, the beer that we were brewing back in 2008. Yeah. Um, it's paying attention to them and it's constantly innovating. And that's where Lee Hill comes in. Innovating, innovating, put it in front of people. We have, the, we have an advantage that we have two tap rooms. Well, guess what? That's our, that's our, uh, our, our field research. Um, yep. People come in, man, this beer has been on tap for three weeks and it's been at the top of the list for three weeks. Well, maybe we should, you know, let's do another round of it and see how it does and put in the tap rooms and see if it, see if it keeps uh, toward the top of the list. And then, you know, over time, if it stays up there and the Citra Pale Ale is a perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. Man, it's in the top two for the last nine months. Let's put that in a can. Um, that's that's cool. a huge advantage that we have to see what the people want. That's great. Well, I think on that note, we'll wrap up. And I'm your host, Dave Tabor. Today on Proco 360, you've been listening to my conversation with Upslope Brewing Company's Matt Cutter. Matt, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Dave. This is fun. 
listeners it was it fun the second time you know we <laughs> i think it was <laughs> i learned even more this time so thanks a lot and listeners thanks for joining me on proco 360 where we say live work love colorado because you and i and my guests can be successful anywhere and choose colorado you make the show successful by subscribing to the proco 360 podcast and submitting a review that really helps you if you haven't done it yet please do Thanks again to show sponsors, Community Banks of Colorado, Holland and Hart, Kinsley Meetings, Microstar Keg Logistics, Via Technologies, and the Colorado Chamber of Commerce. That's the show. Live, work, love, Colorado.